0: Of Room of Requirement, a podcast dedicated to reason and resilience in the time of Trump. I am one of your co hosts, Kamala Rao, and with me, as always, is.
1: Alexis Wright.
0: And Miracle and. Jones. Wow,
2: episode 50. <laughs> World, <laughs> what a long, wild ride it's been. Wow, that's
0: a, that's, that's a fair benchmark. It's I, pretty good, right? I, yeah. yeah isn't I, it? Yeah, this is fifty episodes. Um, I That's told, kind of insane, right? I told Angela that she'd have to start listening at fifty. Oh, really? Yeah, or at oh, least no. listen to one episode. She, she to it. Uh, yeah, because she thought it would never happen. Yeah,
2: <laughs> she came to a live show. Yeah, she
0: actually did already listen to oh. one episode. Yeah, yeah she yeah.
2: Was there, so. Yeah. So, so yeah. What have we? What have we? How do you feel? What have we learned? What have we gained? What have we lost?
0: Uh, so in terms of just doing this, let's uh, podcast, not like. How much have we done in the past, like eighteen months? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For our people, yeah. uh, just in terms of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. I learned about sound editing. Uh, not enough. <laughs> uh, I learned uh, how to um, use the Twitters. Uh, sure. Yeah. From, oh, you
1: started using the Twitters just for this? Uh, well, podcast? I
0: was I was actually uh, an early adopter of Twitter, but actually contributing to Twitter in any way, I think that's that's the new thing. So I'm. I'm weighing in through our our podcast's um, Twitter account, so I'm speaking for you, too. You may want to check it out. (laughs) Um, Anyway, uh, let's see, what else did I learn? Um, I learned uh, that uh, having this kind of ritual of talking about politics was actually really good for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice, because there are two things that we've accomplished with this. Like, every week and a half, I, one, check in, like, clock in and be like, okay, well, I wanted to talk about politics, I have a reason like, I, there's something I'm funneling, you know, obsessive reading towards. And then, two, I'm checking in with people I like yeah. just to be like, oh, okay, well, this is a social almost ritual for us, right? Yeah, like, I should yeah. hang out, forced to hang out. Uh, with a friend, or now friends, yeah. and then um, I think that's also really good for me. So we're, very,
2: we're very small political, sure. cell. Issue yeah is. Sure, sure. <laughs> also,
1: a true story. I recently discovered while on my social reading binge that um, if you learn things specifically while thinking about doing so in order to teach them to other people, you will learn them better, even if you never do that. So probably the podcast has been good for all of our political learning.
2: That's probably true. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh... Like having a reason to take in all this information which we can't help taking in because mm-hmm. of the age we're in like mm-hmm. is something a lot of people don't have. They're just like being bombarded with it. They have no reason, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. to like Get care. to direct
1: that to in some sort of pro-social direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have exciting news this week. Apparently, I look like Maria Butina, which is very exciting to me. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is the woman who's been charged with acting as an unregistered agent of a foreign power. Several people separately have contacted me to tell me that she could be my sister. I buy it. <laughs> I've never looked like anyone before who was like in the news or on TV. So I can kind of see it a
2: little bit. Not really. It though. depends on the yeah. picture, but there are yeah. some where
1: it's like good enough that all I need is a wig for yeah. a Halloween costume. <laughs>
2: who do you i get steve zahn a lot oh which is like not particularly flattering mm-hmm. how about you <laughs> uh
0: i get um I, the references won't make sense i i used to get Shahrukh khan a lot okay who's a bollywood superstar um i actually got Cal pen once uh yeah pen uh, actually someone chased me down uh and asked me for an autograph they thought wow. i was Cal pen <laughs> Uh, he, I had to insist to him, uh, like I wasn't Calvin, I was like, listen to my it's voice. Like, that's what <laughs> Calvin would say. <laughs> but like, listen to my voice, it's very obviously not Calvin's. Um, I I get confused a lot for vaguely handsome but not too handsome brown. That's generally like that. I think, you, I think you're
2: too handsome. Uh, no, 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 no.
0: Like, you know, like, not like, like, this is again, like, I'm not like, Amir Khan your con handsome. I'm right. Shari well, no one Khan is. No, <laughs> one is. <laughs> no one How is here. No one's gonna get that. Right. Yeah. No one's gonna get that. But anyway, yeah. So uh, I've I've seen
2: enough movie posters in Jackson.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. Actually, at some point, I was in an Indian restaurant, and um, there were people who were like giggling and pointing at me. Granted, these are my people, yeah. And were about to hand me a, a, a like a, a song list so that I could <laughs> sing <laughs> it. The I I show Which you me. would totally do. That. Did you try? <laughs> they didn't work up the courage, and yeah. I was like. I'm gonna Shah Rukh <laughs> I gotta sing Shahrukh songs. I don't know them well enough. Obviously, I just I don't have a head for Hindi lyrics. The choreography though, I got down. <laughs> the choreography I can do.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Bhutina, Khan, and Zahn. So how's everybody been over the past couple, past week or so, week and a half?
0: Uh, I had to do a little business trip. Yeah. Uh, oh shit. Where'd you? Oh, I, uh, I went to DC. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, that is less interesting what I was doing, but I got to visit a friend of mine I actually grew up with, so I've known him since I was five, but I, he was on the West Coast for years and then he was in Europe, so I haven't actually spent that much time with him over the past like several years, but he has a daughter uh, who's uh, six years old. Um, and she's probably my favorite uh, six year old, like of all my friends' kids. She's my favorite because at some point uh, they were playing this game called Evolution. It's like, and there's a junior version of Evolution. Right. And she was like, this is not biologically accurate enough. <laughs> so she made a mod. She's That's modding, incredible. <laughs> she's modding her own games for biological accuracy. <laughs> So that was that was that was my my opinion. And then other than that, yeah, it's been hot and humid, and managed to survive. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, you, you were
2: on you were on vacation recently a little um, bit. You went to, you, went, uh, you got to I travel mean, travel.
1: I I went out of town for like a day to visit family, which was fun. It was I had a good time. Yeah.
2: Do you have a good relationship with your family?
1: I mean who has a good relationship with their family really I have a pretty
2: good relationship yeah, with my poor alright well then my relationship
1: <laughs> with my family is fine as well <laughs> <laughs> how are you doing Miracle Jones
2: uh, I'm good I've just been working a bunch like I said I've edited like four books in the past two weeks so I'm just burning out and I've got more to do it's, it's just like books yeah, there's a lot this is like the time when on the back end, when book, books because books got to be ready for Christmas, yeah. So
1: does it mean you're rolling in that sweet, sweet editor money? Uh,
2: yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's been it's been it's been interesting books, so I'm, I'm pretty pretty happy with uh, with that. But I've just been working a lot and reading a lot and just using using my brain a bunch, which is always uh, hard for me. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> As hard as you get older. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a high not as funny anymore. Instrument. It needs to be it's tuned. not as funny anymore. But. <laughs> oh. but uh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good to see you guys. Like yeah. this, this is this yeah. is this is nice. Um so yeah, we made it to 50. I, I did not think this would ever happen, yeah. but it's it's crazy. Um, it's kind of a high volume for I don't know, I feel like we've gone through a lot. We've done a lot. We've talked about a lot of shit. Yeah, so, yeah. uh we, we're actually going to try a new format today, huh? Just like to give it to just mix it up a little bit, see if we like it.
0: Yeah.
2: Where we uh each present a topic whatever, sure everybody right? just gets to decide on one thing. Since there's okay. three of us now, right? Okay. Yeah.
0: That's 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 I like this idea.
2: Uh so, who wants to go first? <laughs> you should go first. Yeah, you I should go, go first,
1: sure. format, yeah.
2: Okay. Uh well, uh, I'd like to talk about something that I think I talked about it in the first podcast, which I constantly think about it and kind of constantly do. I know you are critical of this, but uh, I want to talk about fighting online.
1: Mm. Fantastic! Uh, yeah. let's
2: do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think is actually a fairly healthy endeavor, and I think more people who are innately not inclined to do so should should give it a crack and see. So, what see do you think is like the,
1: about the healthiest form of fighting online? What does that look like?
2: so you want to be the best version of yourself and not the worst version of yourself you have to look at it as a spiritual exercise because it is such a toxic place right you have to think of yourself as like the one like integrity like entering like the bad criminal land where no one has like you want to like improve other people by displaying your own sort of like so you want to lift
1: the level of online You discourse. want to lift the
2: level of online discourse but you want to have a good time while doing so, right? So in my opinion the best way to fight online is to what your goal is, your goal if for to be effective or it's two part. One to improve your own self-esteem by not letting things go,
1: mm-hmm. right? Like not
2: <laughs> not ignoring things that if they were said in public you would not ignore, right? It
1: sounds exhausting already.
2: Well, it depends on what that means to you. So you have to pick your battles, right? Mm-hmm. And then like certain things are I think are worth arguing about. Not everything, but some things are. I think it's a good way to to, to challenge your your own ability to engage with strangers, right? Which I think is fun. Like I think it's really What was your most recent online argument? I my most I can't even remember, I'm I argue online all the time. Somebody was criticizing something I posted and then I, I started being really nice. I started like asking like if he had any problems. I PM'd him and I was like, What's going on? Like, you know, you gotta get out there in the world, man, and like maybe get to a bar, like, we shouldn't take this so seriously, you know, and it just shut him down completely. It was just like, you know, he just disappeared. And I felt really good. It was like somebody was mean to me and I saw it as a cry for help and tried to help and I it know. didn't work they disappeared but you know mm-hmm. uh anyway so uh, the goal right should be to make yourself feel better you know uh by engaging maybe with discourse itself and trying to lift that
0: that's well you draw a line between engaging and
1: if you're machiavellian enough yeah
2: <laughs> the martial arts have all kinds of of goals right you know like to win to take mm-hmm. territory mm-hmm. The thing that is the most effective is to get other people to waste their time, right? To get uh, but get are you not people then
1: wasting your time. Well, as you well. want to do it
2: as efficiently as possible, right? To like say things that provoke people into spending all day typing out responses. But I that feel like you could.
1: That that you may
2: not even read. Bot. Well, you can't. <laughs> I don't think you can because you have to like you have to get people right at the core of what you know so they spend all day you know trying to respond to something you've said right Mm -hmm. you've taken them out as like a a a fighter in the greater psychosphere right Mm -hmm. and also you might exhaust them and demoralize them and raise the emotional cost of continuing to engage right like to begin to see their opponent as somebody that is fearsome and not will not Crumple easily, and I think it's worth it. I think the more people doing that, the more people engaging their liberal arts skills online in a world which has uh, the on- level of online discourse is pretty low. But you can like whip people up and just like make Sorry. them spin their gears, and I, I think that's it's it's very satisfying. Interesting. Um, Interesting. You is kind of just staring <laughs> with silent
0: disdain. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So my my take on it is that. Uh, the internet is a, uh, sort of a cesspool. Social media um, is, a, is like an open, bloody sewer gladiatorial. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I, but so to me, what I've come to, sort of agree with, is that it is important for someone like me, um, <laughs> to engage. Yeah. Actually, so like I checked out from Facebook a long time ago. Um, I thought it was annoying. I thought leading up to two thousand sixteen. Um, I didn't want to be on Facebook, uh, I'm not really on Instagram, and uh, Twitter, I think, is my main outlet, by I'm mainly a, a taker, not a giver. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I was thinking about is, like, it is important... And I find myself agreeing with you is probably maybe it's just not disdain for what you were saying, <laughs> disdain with myself for actually agreeing. With you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think the level of the only way the level of discourse is going to get better is if more people engage, right? Like, and you have to learn how to filter, right? Like, yeah. so, um, you know, I, I was thinking of, I've been trying to come up with rules of how to engage in a way in social media that makes me feel. N- not better about myself, but also just, it's, it's worthwhile. Like, what do I want to see that is better than social media? So, like, w- the, you know, I think one of the things is that I don't react to articles immediately. Like, I, I, unless it's really, really obvious, like, I w- at least wait 24 hours before I mm. think about, uh, before I spin. And this is on Twitter, so, like, you can easily write 240 characters immediately. But I, I, I usually save it and then wait and get back to it in mm. 24 hours. That's one thing that, another I think it's like I think different platforms have different um, uh, virtues. So that for Facebook, for example, like it's a weird kind of political mishmash. And so I realized I was looking over my old Facebook. Oh wow, it was just fun to post really funny things that make people who are in part of my social network actually like laugh or like yeah. remind. And so like you know, I, or like ask simple things like, hey, someone's going to be in Durham. Who? What are the recommendations? I got great recommendations actually yeah. Yeah, yeah. last week. So like. You know, uh, Facebook is for remembering that you belong belong to a larger community. Sure, not yeah. to like harangue them about politics. Twitter is about haranguing for politics, and even that, I think, is like, I think there are people who, you know, it's it's a flattened environment, right? So there's not like there's not a lot to like uh, filter out in terms of uh, there's no barrier to entry for people who are participating, and people are actually trying to struggle with ideas, and maybe they don't have uh, the education or the practice or whatever. Um, or they're just, you know, they're just new to this. They're being forced to think about this stuff, and they're and so there's not a lot of um, refinement or need to to filter themselves or understand what it means to engage in a dialogue. Um, so I I think with like Twitter, I I try to be as respectful as possible, and if I uh, and I don't think, I, I will never respond to anyone who is in, in a snarky way, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that's that's not, or cast aspersions on who they are or what they are. Like, if someone re- is rude to me, I just ignore them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I only, I only engage in, like, kind of genuine questions and back and forth. So that's, that's the way that I kind of approach it. I don't know if that works. Also, I mean, I, if, I realize that like social media takes your time, and I don't yeah. have a lot of that. Sure. So, yeah. Exactly. Uh, so I'm pretty much not engaged. That so, I mean, all these rules are largely theoretical. Yeah. 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 So maybe maybe I actually agree with you. I think it's engaging. I wouldn't consider fighting though. Like I mean, because I think fighting or standing up for yourself, like I I don't know if that's what I think I'm less tribal than you are, but like. Yeah but i think that what i don't like is the fact that like i can't go onto twitter and have like a reasonable debate with people all the time right like you have to watch what you're saying which i think is okay but also like you can't really engage and i think uh, the way that i found is that i uh, maybe i found the right people to engage with and that they're they're willing to be sincere so there's a lot to be said for p- finding the right person to engage with for
2: sure how about how about how about you do you have a, a hygiene for online combat?
1: So, I, um, I don't spend a lot of time arguing with people who clearly are cemented in their positions already online for a few reasons. Um, one is, I've been focusing a lot recently on really trying to develop an understanding of what makes people persuadable, right? Like, under what circumstances people are actually receptive to new ideas. And I think that a lot of it has to do with curiosity, yeah. right? and about them being curious about your position. So, if you're starting from a position where you're facing people who are not receptive to becoming interested in what you have to say, I think you're wasting your time. I think all you're doing is reinforcing both your and their pre-existing biases. I also, I tend not to get involved in political debates that are based around whether well-described position A or well-described position B should when the debate, where the parameters are already sort of defined and in place. I think that those debates are already playing out. So I, when I get into political arguments will tend to, or political engagements online will tend to do it in areas where I'm talking about something that I don't think is being talked about. Um, Sometimes in response to something that someone has said, um, sometimes not. Uh, Recently, I got into a conversation with a friend about strong feelings that I have about people who make fun of Trump supporters about their grammar, for example, which I think is just a naked strategic failure on your part if you do it. Um, However smart you think you are, or however much smarter than this other person you are mocking you think you are, you are proving yourself Wrong by falling into the trap of allowing your classism to be weaponized. Right now, you are the caricature liberal. Wow, you look really smart for being able to place the apostrophe correctly, but like fall on your face strategically. Right, so that's an that's a for example a political topic that I'll get engaged into a serious debate with people about because I don't think it's it's a perspective that people who I know are considering, and it is one that they might be receptive to. Right, so a lot of it for me has to do with do I think that I'm bringing something new to the table that this person hasn't already thought about or considered? Do I think I can give them a new angle on this? Do I think that they'll be receptive to what I have to say because I have a limited amount of energy and time and plenty of other people will carry the banner of having the same argument on the internet that they've had a million times before and will have a million times again because it feels good to them in some way to try to score points or uh, whatever even though they're not moving the needle with the person that they're talking to and probably not with anyone else so that's my feeling
2: yeah i mean that that's all very reasonable i don't really come at it from a reasonable perspective like i'm trying to spread like my uh weaponized ideas <laughs> and so i try to just like plant seeds and work them in whenever i can because I have a limited amount of time, and I don't really know if, like, reason... I think, I think you're right. I don't know if reasonable discussion is possible. So I'm always working... I'm always well, arguing for whoever's watching. It's
1: not that I... I, I actually do think that reasonable discussion is possible. No, I don't
2: me. know if it is in social media. I, I think
1: mean, in social media It can yes. be, I but it's so much time.
2: It takes so much time.
1: I don't even necessarily think that that's the case. I think a lot of it has to do with your angle. Which, or
0: the filters um, you use, yeah. right. or the like, filters yeah, use. Who you're engaging with. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, there are places that conservatives go to own the libs, and there are places that liberals go to, like whatever, own the conservatives, and those are not the places where you're going to have a reasoned, thoughtful, political debate that's going to persuade anyone who didn't show up to see, like, brains hit the wall. Right? Um, Yeah.
2: I I want somebody to come out of uh, argument with me thinking they've won, and then carrying my idea with them forever, and, like, always fighting it in
0: their own head.
1: But I feel like that's that's precisely counterproductive.
0: (laughs) I don't know. That is, like,
1: 100% me okay. okay
0: what do you what do you gain from this because this sounds like a terrible idea but what do you what do you think you gain from
2: what well, spreads so for the past like i guess since the election of trump i've got I've got, a, I've got a list here of my like you know five favorite like memes that i've tried to like get women, out there in Wi-Fi the world. And weed? yeah that's top, like. top of the list right women <laughs> wi-fi and weed 2018 right okay. like mm-hmm. it's you know mainly i'm not arguing with uh republicans about this or conservatives, although if they pay attention I hope it scares them that we're on to what the wedge issue should be. Mm-hmm. But mainly it's a it's a it's a it's a attempt to fight back against people who claim that the central issue of twenty eighteen should be whether or not you're socialist or something like that, right? Like I don't think it's a valuable discussion. Well I think
1: that if anything that's just what Republicans are hoping the central issue of yeah, twenty eighteen exactly. will be I right. think that the evidence is not for it regardless. Yeah,
2: yeah. So we women Wi Fi, that's number one. I I've been saying it since the beginning and it's I true. think I think it's. Mm-hmm. I think it's still a good uh, banner for the Democrats to run under. Uh, Trump is white OJ. That's number two. I've been pushing that for a long time. Yeah, like we I agree think, on that. I yeah, think that's good. I think. I think. I
0: wish I would pick up a little. I
2: think any discussion of the identity politics of the way people uh, judge evidence and information about Trump comparing it to the way that people judge information and evidence about OJ is it's a great metaphor because everybody remembers that and everybody remembers being mad at the other side for being especially white people for being for being like you guys are just like thinking with your race or whatever it's like yeah that's exactly what you're doing here like he's so guilty and every you know he's got to attack the system right he's got to you know make the justice system itself seemed like uh, the villain here because he's otherwise he's so incredibly guilty that there's no way that he you know could, should get off reasonably right. Uh, number number three that this is Trump's first job that he's ever had right. <laughs> I love bringing this up to conservatives because there's no way to rebut it right. They can talk about like that he was a reality TV star or that he owned a business or whatever, but he's never actually worked for anybody right. This is the first time he's actually. You know he's chosen to forgo his paycheck but it still, you know, happens he's, received, he's worked for a body larger than himself, which is us, the American people right, mm. so, and I think, you know everybody knows what it's like to have a job except this motherfucker, so it, I think they start thinking about, like, their first job right, and whether they're arguing with me or not, they start comparing Trump and his like, first job, their first job stacking groceries or working in a video store or, like, and they come away with that, and they can't help it, they're just like, now they're arguing with this, like, phantasm in their mind of but like.
1: are they arguing? I mean, like.
2: I I think it sticks. I think it's one no, of those it things. it sticks. That, but yeah. I feel
1: like part of that is your ability to construct a memorable idea, regardless of whether you're talking to someone you're arguing yeah. with or not. Yeah. Right? Like yeah.
2: that's the that's the plan, right? I think that's
0: like. I find I find
1: of. your imagery specific and memorable. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: think. Yeah. Okay. So I think you're able to. Come up with ideas that stick. Right? Influencing people, people, whether you, you agree with them or not. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think so.
2: Let me let me finish the list here. Okay, right? sorry, sorry. Uh, Trump is a secret virgin. You know, that was the first thing I ever wrote about <laughs> Donald Trump, right? Like, yeah. and I think now we're seeing like this that everybody are taking are reckoning more seriously with the incels, right? Like, mm. they've started thinking about like this movement online, which was in the darkness of like. Mm you know, these, like, weird misogynist creeps. But, yeah, just the the idea that all women kind of hate Trump, whether they're telling you the truth about it or not, like, that's, I think that's true, and, you know... I mean, I think the numbers support that. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: yeah. I just want to back up. We are all in no way supporting the...
2: Trump is a virgin. is <laughs> <laughs> so not, I mean, I mean, not a virgin word.
0: truther. I'm using <laughs> the
2: word virgin literally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he's probably never actually had human sex. I'm <laughs> writing
1: a book currently about what makes ideas sticky, like what yeah. makes them stick with people, and two of the things are that they're unexpected and concrete. So yeah. <laughs> so you don't dispute that he's masturbating.
2: Uh, no, but is that that's not intercourse, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just a thought, just a the theory, secret okay, version. Right, right. Wait, do you have more sex? on your
1: list?
2: Yeah, just the, la- the last one is just one that I, I mentioned a lot, which is that everybody talks about compromise, like what is does the, r- the Russians have on Trump? And my theory has always been that everybody yeah. has something on Trump. I, like, I do like he your theory. He never, like, that's what that that's the only f- idea that explains the data of every time he comes out of a meeting with anybody, he takes their line, right? It's <laughs> just like, they just showed me this clip from, like, 1984, <laughs> and I gotta tell you now, now I really believe believe in a trade deal with England I feel like I think everybody's got something on Trump like and they just use it whenever they need to and he just like lives in a hell of everybody you know uh, reminding him how they could destroy his life and he's just got to do triage anyway those are those are my example how I like to fight online I I recommend you come up with your own Concrete. What is it? Concrete. And unexpected. Well, there's unexpected. there's many. At
1: some at some future podcast point, when I finish the yeah. book, I'll talk a little bit about it because I think it's really interesting. And actually, some of it does touch on Trump's strengths as a communicator. Yeah. Um. Some of the some of the stuff that's talked about in the book, um, which I think would be interesting. But I want to yeah. finish it first. And <laughs> anyway,
2: getting people to respond to these absurd claims in great detail and at length. Makes me very happy, and I don't care what they say. I can just move on with my day. You have Not more
1: enough. in common with well, Trump than you realize. I'm totally, you <laughs> should.
2: I wish we move on to the next we'll on on topic.
0: Lex, what is your thought? <laughs>
1: okay, so I, for a while now, um, on the podcast, have been wanting to talk about markets. Uh, I would like to say before I start talking, because I'm terrified of an army of lawyers, that I do not represent the company that I work for <laughs> on this podcast, <laughs> nor are my opinions derived from any of their opinions or any professional work that I do there. Right. Just in case it ever comes out where I work, I just want them to know I am not claiming to represent them. Yeah.
0: So- <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, I have to say the same, right? Yeah. <laughs> same, Kamalish, route opinion. Opinions are my own and do not reflect the uh, uh, the opinions of my employer. And I am not an investment <laughs> Yeah.
1: <laughs> so that being said, I I think we are on track for some interesting and disruptive shit to happen in the markets. That is going to be politically interesting. I don't know what the timeline is. I don't know if it'll impact the election or not. But I think we're on track for it. And here is my argument, um, which is going to involve a lot of sort of brief explanatory stuff. Yeah. Um, So, uh, when people gauge the performance of quote unquote, the market, right? What are they talking about? Well, you have returns that you get on your investments, which is like, how much more is this worth now than it was when I bought it? But then you also have something that um, people in the finance industry call m- multiples, right? Which is gonna be some kind of ratio of one number that has to do with the performance of the uh, these companies to another number that has to do with their performance. Now, classically, one of the big ones is price to earnings. So it's like, okay, so for this particular stock, it costs this much and the company that it's stock for has earnings of this much. And um, the reason that that's important is because you wanna know whether you are paying too much or too little for the value that you're getting.
2: So it's like whether it's a good deal or not. Yeah, essentially whether it's a good deal or not. Not just that you're getting a lot of money out of it, but whether it's like a good deal.
1: And a lower number means that it has more room to rise. Assuming that it's a company that actually has value and that that value will eventually be sort
2: of realized. Like Spotify. (laughs) <laughs> a great podcast <laughs> app. <actually>. so historically <laughs>
1: uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, the S&P 500 which is an index that is quote unquote market cap weighted for the largest 500 companies on the US market um, and what that means is that um, they take the performance of these companies as a glob weighted toward the bigger one and they give you essentially performance on this group of entities right Um, So the average S&P price-to-earnings ratio across all time, I think, is around 15. Um, And since around 2015, it has been sitting at 24, Uh, in which context it's not so high that everyone is convinced we're in a bubble and they need to sell before everyone dies, but it's also a situation where markets are what financial people like to call quote unquote fully valued, which means, right, if you buy something at a multiple of 24 in a historical context, it's probably not going to go up a lot, right? That being said, what's the situation with other kinds of assets that people in financial services can buy? Well, Bonds are also not returning very much right now. Rates are low, that's why your savings account doesn't give you very much money right now, and why mortgages are a good deal right now. But it also means that there's not very many simultaneously somewhat safe and somewhat interesting places to put money at the moment. And that's been true for a while. Now, um, another character of this story that I'm about to introduce is, there's an index called the VIX. Basically it's a volatility index, which means If there's greater volatility in the market, meaning prices are swinging all over the place, which typically is a gauge of um, investors freaking out in one direction or another, right? Then the VIX goes up. If people are feeling pretty stable about how things are going, the VIX goes down. Now, um, yesterday the VIX hit its lowest point in, I think, six months. Um, And as I said, markets are what most people would consider fully valued right now. So what at this point is driving investment? Or what is driving people to feel comfortable investing, right? This like volatility gauge, which a lot of people call the fear gauge, right? Mm -hmm. The VIX tends to go up when people are skittish about financial performance of different things. So what's keeping it so low? Um, Particularly in the current context where we've got tariffs kicking in, but it's beginning to have a slow, Shockwave, right? Like, um, I would say you see more and more stories. It's not reflected in the numbers, it's not reflected in the markets yet. But, you know, the day before the VIX hit its lowest point in six months, some, you know, electronics plant in South Carolina closed down. Like, there's a lot of local stories. You know, Coca Cola is planning to raise the price of soda. Um, So, a lot of stuff is going on. And it's going to have effects, I think, that sort of ripple through the financial system. So why is the VIX so low? So I have a theory, right? Which is just that a lot of the money that quote-unquote moves the market, right? Because like the prices of these things move around as different people buy and sell them. But most of it's not small individual people buying and selling stocks, right? What it is is like what's called quote-unquote institutional money, right? And so that means state pension funds and quote-unquote sovereign wealth, right? So like Mm. foreign governments putting their money in U.S. stocks. And if you don't, if you are some kind of financial services company and you don't feel like you can deploy that money for those uh, organizations, they will just go somewhere else. That money is not leaving the circulating pool of investment products because those organizations have financial obligations and targets that they need to meet. So I think for a while after we hit a point where markets seemed pretty fully valued, people were feeling kind of skittish like, are we headed for a crash? What's going on? But they've got to keep deploying cash, right? And nothing bad happened. So I think that there's a sense of complacency that's set in, which is unwarranted in the current context. That's my argument. I think we're going to see some trouble. I mean, this is a broad analysis that, like a lot of people share, but I'm more interested in the political angle of it, um, particularly because trade
0: war only seems to be asked. Esc- there are a couple of things to keep in mind. Um, the VIX actually went up uh, significantly at the beginning of this year because mm-hmm. people were, uh, so that meant that people were uh, a little skittish about uh, valuations, how things, uh, how the stock market was shaking out, and they actually thought that maybe it could be overvalued. Um, we also lost Cohen. We also lost Cohen. We did lose Cohen. Um, So (coughs) when uh, Trump um, was elected, I had to do an economic analysis in my previous job. And I said there were probably three or four things that he was going to do right, and then four or five things he was going to do wrong. And at some point, it's a balancing act. So... uh, Trump as de facto CEO uh, in every company, where if they make the headlines um, and he doesn't like it, he can come in and say, you need to do something better. Otherwise, I will stick stick my Twitter minions on you. That's really bad. Uh, The trade war is certainly bad. Um, There are other things that he could do that are equally bad. I generally think in the long term, should he actually get his act together, uh, tamping down on immigration would also be bad. Mm -hmm. So there are are certainly things that uh, I would say that there are things that he does right. Um, And uh, this will win me no leftist friends, but I actually think that the pullback in regulation um, was certainly a a signal to the markets uh, to um, continue to uh, or to increase investment. Um, I would say that him not uh, being able to uh, extend uh, infrastructure spending is actually in the short term a good thing we can argue how effective it would be in the long term but effectively we're not going further into deficit so that's important because we're, we're still running a deficit uh, and that's in the long term i don't even mean, in the medium term i think is bad. um so there with trump i think this is true with a lot of american presidents um but the republican presidents are a n- more interesting question is whether or not their good instincts and their bad instincts balance it out. And I think with Trump, he has quite a number of bad instincts to help them uh, counter some good kind of business, you know, general kind of shoot-from-the-hit kind of business. So uh, where does that leave us? Uh, it's possible that the market's overvalued. It's also very possible, like, when you see a high a P.E. ratio, uh, on a, uh, maybe not on the aggregate, but in gen- with a, a given company, that also means that the market is expecting... Uh, earnings to rise right so that's a, it's a vote for optimism that things could come um, when you have low interest rates that also chases up PE ratios because mm-hmm. it, they have to fight and they're willing to say that oh, if i can if i have a safe bond i get one percent that means that i can chase down returns to three three percent like I, I only because you know that's uh, that's the risk premium right so those are things to keep in mind do i think i, I have suspicion that maybe the market is getting ahead of it itself
1: Yeah. I would also clarify, I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily saying that I expect like a broad scale market crash. I'm more, a lot of my concern is actually about specific sentiment Mm -hmm. corrections more than actual like value corrections. Right. Um, where it's like, I feel that, that there's a sense of complacency in terms of like, so in terms of like research, for example, that Mm -hmm. I received that Mm -hmm. I happen to read or like stuff that I read just to try to Mm -hmm. feel, you know, up-to-date in terms of stuff that my colleagues are doing or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like a couple years ago, at more or less the same multiples and level of performance, everyone was very concerned. And I don't hear the same concern now, and I think that that concern has turned to complacency because people don't really have the option of not deploying
0: funds, right? Well, perhaps. I mean, that would be true at any given point, right? Like, I mean, you're always supposed to invest, right? And so... Uh, no one gets rewarded for uh, playing it safe. No one says like, oh, okay, well at some point I need to just take all this, all your money and invest in cash. That's a good way to lose a job yeah. as an investment advisor. There's a lot of herd mentality. There's a lot of momentum mentality in investment. Like it's not necessarily, it has never been a science. It's never been particularly accurate. It's, so I think that if we're talking about rationality or sentiment, I mean the idea of valuation and sentiment go hand in hand, right? Because uh, this is someone who's as someone who's done forecasting a lot, the idea that you're able to divorce your like your analysis from your emotions in terms of projecting the future mm-hmm. is silly, right? Like mm-hmm. the way that we make forecasts about the future very much reflect how we think about the future, which is not a mathematical formula. Mm-hmm. There's no certainty around it, and so we a lot of what we do is wish-casting, And I, I, there are a number of scenarios. You can you can be a technician all you want, but people will tend to see into the future what they want to see into the future, right? So that if they don't like the current situation, the future is just getting worse. And if they like the current situation and they are making money, things are only going to get better. Now, are we in a place where we're talking about catastrophic valuations? I'm not sure. I, I kind of doubt that. I actually think that, going back to, I think, a point you want to make, I actually wonder what happens if uh, the Democrats take over Congress mm. and if they take over the Senate. And I actually, that's
2: when things start to go south. I
0: think for the market, yeah. like, what, well, what do you believe in? What do you believe yeah. in is coming, right? Because uh, certainly interest rates are going to hike. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, um, you're not going to get any tax cuts. You're probably going to get, if anything, you're going to try to reverse taxes. Things will go <laughs> slower. There won't be, uh, and I'm not clear, like, what's going to happen with regulation, right? So. Uh, so all the things that were going well for them in terms of the markets, and again, the market isn't a perfect reflection of the economy, like what happens then? What happens when the blue wave hits? If should the blue wave hit? I actually think that that makes that's actually a vulnerable point for the stock market Interesting. whether or not I, I actually think the stock market really likes center right mm-hmm. government and that's kind of true the world over mm-hmm. yeah. I think
1: because of the complexity of trade relationships internationally it's a matter of time until a really unexpected comes down um if trade wars continue to escalate In that def- that's
0: something that's an event that i Rosneft maybe. Right. So the way, so I don't know if any, so the companies that go bankrupt are small companies. Mm-hmm. The companies that get government assistance are big yeah. <laughs> companies. Mm-hmm. So trust me, he will be an interventionist president when like GM comes to knocking. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> like, or or uh, who's some a big company that's based in somewhere like Ohio, Indiana, mm-hmm. they will not go down. Mm-hmm. They will get some weird soft loan mechanism kicked mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Um, I there, I wonder what the feedback system is to to be able to hold back Trump right in mm-hmm. terms of continuing to escalate this Trump war, other than the fact that I think in general he's sort of a coward and a blowhard like I think it, maybe you're right maybe there, there, there are other feedback mechanisms or ways to like sort of blackmail him into making good decisions. but the real problem I think with the trade our trade stance is that it's causing major damage to the institutions and mm-hmm. it sort of opens up the gateway to not uh, to sort of solve Trade disputes by going to with each other as opposed mm-hmm. to something like a WTO that it has a little bit more of a slow roll, methodical, bureaucratic. Part. So that's I worry more about the long term uh, effects of trade. I think the I, it's possible he trade wars us into a recession, but I don't think that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. There will be small mechanisms because he can he can ratchet up, but he can also ratchet down. Right, mm-hmm. and the way that he likes to do it is he likes to sort of create a threat. Uh, and sorry, then, Trump, Trump like to create and then threat then save the world by by rolling down the threat that he's created. So I think that's that the, may be his MO. So which so is another, which junk. is also
2: called abuse, by the way. <laughs> that's so just miracle. called abuse. That's the definition of abuse. Go ahead so <laughs> junk, as
1: as the expert on Trump compromise who do you think is going to blackmail him into his next decisive action on trade?
2: Uh <laughs> is next decisive action on trade. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like it's, you know, Japan's turn, right? <laughs> <Yeah, yeah, yeah. laughs>
0: Japan has actually been picking up the pieces of uh yeah, international trade well. Yeah, yeah they've yeah, done yeah. pretty well for themselves.
2: So. Yeah. Uh so third segment. <laughs> okay, all
0: right, okay. So in the first episode we had a format where we talked about outside the bubble. Who yeah. were reading outside the bubble? And my first nomination was Ben Shapiro. Yeah. Um and I realize this is a controversial topic and a controversial person, but I will. I to this day I. I well, so so who me. is
2: who is Ben Shapiro and what?
0: Yeah, does walk he us do? through Ben Shapiro. Oh, walk us through who Ben Shapiro is. Ben Shapiro is a young... and why you like him? Yeah, young uh, millennial uh, conservative. He is strongly conservative. Um, he uh, he probably began writing when he was about nineteen, uh, but he has published for a lot of the. He has a travel log through all the right-wing magazines. He was actually editor or editor-in-chief at Breitbart. He left over the Trump uh, during the Trump years because he thought he didn't like what Breitbart was doing for Trump. Um, He also wrote at Town Hall, which I think I'll mention again, and uh, through other magazines, too. he, He appears in, say, National Review, Weekly Standard. All these typical, ma- uh, typical right-wing magazines, and especially the stuff that goes further to the right. So why I like... Uh, well, so when we started this podcast, I was probably... I was getting reacquainted with right-wing media, okay. who's someone who actually... He rather, he proposed, or he sort of presented himself, and I think this is largely accurate, as someone who was both a, a, was a thoughtful dissenter to the Trump legacy. But he's a critic from the right, yeah. and I don't think I... I, and I think I remember saying this on the podcast. I disagree with seventy percent of what he says, but thirty percent of what he says is interesting. Yeah. So, what do I think is interesting? When I read Ben Shapiro, and I, on he has his own website now called I think The Real Daily. Web. When he bothers to write something in one of the major publications, I think he is thoughtful. Um, his critiques about. Trump's legacy and his relationship to the Constitution are very interesting. No doubt he comes from the right, but the right wants uh, less executive power by its nature. And I always think that's a very interesting argument. The problem with Ben Shapiro and the problem with right wing media, and I think he's a really interesting edge case. So if you come from the left, I, whether you I may want to ask whether or not you want to follow Ben Shapiro, I think he's an interesting edge case because I think people further to the right are probably not worth reading. He's. Um, uh, in, in the sense that I, I don't really think they argue in good faith. I think a lot of times I, I, I think he argues in good faith. I think he argues intelligently. I think he can say deplorable things. Uh, he's been on Twitter for a long time. Anyone from the r- right wing of the Twitterverse has a pretty long history, and the nature of right-wing media is you, ex- you distinguish yourself by being pretty nasty um, and pretty awful. Uh, there are a couple of things that I say uh, that he said that keep floating up. I think are utterly indefensible. Uh, he has talked about quote-unquote uh, Palestinian removal uh, or genocide. Uh, it's not genocide. He wants removal. He did it when he was 20. This is what happens when you have a writing like history that is perfectly searchable for 20 years, right? So as a young man, he talked about uh, he's done other things that are are, I would say insensitive. Um, so I think, and then deliberately so. So on Twitter, he can be a right-wing troll. Um, he likes to punch down. Uh, he likes to punch, uh, he likes to pick fights with celebrities. But I don't, and so all of that is not worth reading. So I, why would you then engage with Ben Shapiro? One, um, he's influential. Uh, there's a whole generation of conservative millennials that follow him because he's able to articulate a lot of things. Two, he's intelligent. When he makes an argument, it's thought out, it's and it's reasoned. And finally, he's informative. He, for, he forces me, when I read him, to see things that, that I don't necessarily see, right? He's He brings a new perspective. Is he always right? Absolutely not. Uh, is he deplorable upon occasion, to borrow a phrase? Yeah, and I think he deliberate. and there's a lot of posturing on Twitter. But when he writes, he writes from he can write from a reasonable conservative tradition that is um, that is uh, slowly going away in the age of Trump and I think that's that's worth at least reading I also think fundamentally he's different he's changed he's 32 now right mm-hmm. so an angry young man writes very differently and uh, his tone is so different than in town hall days and the stuff that I other than uh, I I think he's gotten away from Palestinian stuff. I think he holds, I, the stuff that I, I think will send off warning signs is he, hold, he certainly harbors a prejudice against uh, Palestinians. You can call it racist. You can call it whatever. He's, I think he, he's learned to tamp that down. But he is a fan of Israel to the point that I think he has a prejudice towards Israel. Two, um, the thing that's, I think, utterly unforgivable is, from an intellectual standpoint is that he backed the birther uh, rumors. Um, not because he believed them, and he says this explicitly because it was a good way to take down Obama. And he says this, and he's never apologized for that. That's horrible. There are a couple of other things. I can't,
2: I, I'm i out there saying Donald Trump is a secret virgin, so...
0: I me say this, though. and He gets accused of being <coughs> a racist, and I yeah. follow him pretty closely. I don't think of him as a racist. And there are, uh, uh, I mean, I think he says things that are insensitive to get a rise out of people. Yeah. But I don't think of him as a racist. I think he is anti-transgender. For sure. And uh, so we don't need to expound his ideas. They're terrible. But uh, what I think is worth following about Ben Shapiro, uh, again, is that he's the edge case. He's the edge case of where I'm comfortable following right-wing commentary. Because mm-hmm. I do get something out of it. Um, I also think that it's really important to follow people that you disagree with. Like, I don't need them mm-hmm. to check up all the boxes of what I agree with in order to follow them. I, If you are willing to argue the other side intelligently, uh, I'm willing, that's engaging and that's important. And I, one of the things that I think maybe the left got a little lazy about uh, during the Obama years was being able to engage. And I still think they're somewhat lazy because they're willing to be dismissive. They're like, oh, you believe this. I don't need to engage with you. I don't need to listen to you. I, for a whole host of reasons, you can not
2: that's totally agree with you and it's dehumanizing you're also right. you're also not given the ability to change uh, for people to change their minds you know right and you can't both say like my position is a result of like intellectual rigor and enlightenment and i'm not going to share it with you right that's fucked up that's like that's that's cruel for one thing and it's it's non uh I,
1: not only that but when you create like an explicitly antagonistic relationship with someone yeah, yeah. and you do it on the basis of you identifying as knowledgeable right. and identifying them as not knowledgeable, right. like, y- you're encouraging them to retrench to an anti-intellectualist position, right? Yeah. Um, which I think is is something that we see a lot. Anyway, but I agree with you about tuning into people who have very different political views um, that you disagree with on board.
0: Yeah, I think it's I, I, sometimes it's a hard read. I, I'm not going to defend everything he says. I don't in any way say it, but I mean sometimes he's right, and um, there and a lot of times I mean he's kind of a, a, an annoying mm-hmm. read because he's just punching down or like picking on stupid things celebrities say. Who cares? That's yeah. don't follow him on Twitter then. But I would encourage you to read the Re- Daily Wire uh, every so often. I think he also when he publishes to National Review and stuff like that, other app he cleans. He may or may not be double talking. I I kind of doubt it, but and maybe this is just me being the optimist. I think he's changed. I think he's changing. He struggles with what was his past and the ugly, hyperbolic town hall days. Like town hall was a terrible magazine. It's still a terrible magazine. And there are uh, uh, and I, that, that's not worth reading, right? Like I don't think Breitbart is worth reading. I think Ben Shapiro is worth reading. Um, Yeah, and I can say that I think the Federalist, who is actually probably left of Ben, is not worth reading. It's kind of garbage. Um, But there are, uh, but Ben is still. I think I. If you catch him, if you follow him, he makes arguments largely in good faith. I mean, minus this, you have to just the other side to him, the owning the libs, the the snarky tweets. That's part of right wing media, and I think if you don't realize that, then you also don't know. If you're taking antagonistic stance with a right wing, then you don't understand that, you don't understand where they're coming from, you don't understand what, oh, what ideas they're weaponizing, right, if you block yourself off completely. And then at the same time, like I think that um, you don't understand that, that media landscape, you're never going to learn anything even from people who come from that media, media landscape who can be informative.
1: Actually, speaking of right wing commentary, Kamalash and I went to Watch oh, a live oh, taping of commentary in the podcast. That's true. How, um, did, that, how did that go? <laughs> so I think Commilish enjoyed it a little more than I do. Um, <laughs> actually, not because I thought that they presented well reasoned arguments that made me really mad, and more because they spent less time presenting like the kind of political analysis they're capable of that I'm really interested in, and more time peacocking sort of owning the libs yeah. against some made up caricature yeah. of the libs right. um, which is not interesting to me because I debate with liberals all the time and, and my understanding of the kinds of arguments that they're making is much more nuanced than what they were presenting yeah, yeah. and they're
0: from New York they all live in New York and New Jersey so they should know better like yeah. they should have a more nuanced I think partially the they were playing to the crowd they were playing okay. to the crowd which was a bunch of like Kind of conservative, ninety-nine percent white, like kind of odd, eighty percent male, kind of audience. What?
2: How old? Like t- total demographic breakdown.
0: I don't know.
1: Um, I would say
0: average age was probably thirty.
1: Yeah. I, I was gonna go with like 35. thirty-three or thirty-four, but um, yeah, like
0: fuckable. Uh,
1: no. Although I was talking to Kamlesh <laughs> about how Sorab um, so right, on, on commentary on <laughs> yeah. is uh is uh, He's light on the eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not hard to look at. No, I mean, I also appreciate his political commentary not because I agree with it, but because he has interesting things to say. But I would know. say I
0: disagree with Sorum 90% of the time. Yeah. It's like he's really really conservative. But, yeah.
1: but he does have interesting things oh, to and say. Oh, he right? writes beautifully.
0: Yeah. Too. Yeah. 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 He's yeah. he's great. Yeah, I uh, 100% recommend him. He Battle yeah. of commentary. But it
1: turns out not just a good writer. yeah, it's Interesting.
2: Would you would you go back? Would you recommend Uh, the taping of the commentary podcast. I mean, if
1: if Kamalash wanted me to go back, I would go back, (laughs) because I enjoy doing things with Kamalash.
0: I I think the (laughs) two younger people, uh, so it's it's Sora Mamari and then uh, Noah Rothman, I think are are probably the two more interesting, uh, even in that context, I think they're two of the more interesting uh, voices and ideas. I would love to see them sit down and hash out some ideas, because they don't disagree, they don't agree with each other, and I I would like, if they could turn over the, That live show just to them, I think it would be uh, very interesting.
1: My comment to Kamalish after was like, let Noah and Sarup talk. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They're very good. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well. Yeah, (laughs) I think that's it. I think we're out of time. Yeah, yeah.
0: Thank you, everyone, for joining us for episode 50 of Rumor Requirement. New format. Yeah, (laughs) well, maybe
2: maybe we'll try this again. Maybe this is just an anniversary edition. All right. Where we just got to vent. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, next time, next time. Cool
0: and uh, thanks to Kevin Carter for producing our outro music yeah